Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. She had never had a guest like this before. She and her sister lived outside the big city, which meant that they could go to where the important people were, but the important people never came to her. But today was different. Today, the one-man Near Eastern equivalent of the Beatles was sitting in her living room. I mean, everywhere he went, people would flock, children would laugh, women would scream, the authorities would get angry. The most coveted dinner guest in all of Israel was sitting at her table. And when a VIP like that is over, then everything has to be perfect. And maybe everything would be perfect if her sister would help out a little bit. I mean, normally Mary would pull her weight, but today she seemed to think that she was a VIP too. She hadn't stepped foot in the kitchen all day. All she had done ever since Jesus had arrived was sit at his feet, ask questions, and listen. And that meant that all of the cooking, all of the cleaning, all the perfecting of their home for this special guest was left to her. And she was starting, after all, to get mad. She'd made all the angry and furtive gestures and whispers from the kitchen to try and get Mary's attention. But after none of that work, Martha, embarrassed and flushed, took her case to Jesus himself. The book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 40 to 42, records what she said. She said, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now the story says that Martha was distracted with much serving. It says that in verse 39. Jesus, in verse 41, told her that she was distracted and anxious, anxious and troubled about many things. Have you been there? Have you been distracted and anxious about the housework, about your team's responsibilities at work, about the kids, about ministry in the church? Do you fear that if you don't keep up a dangerously demanding workload, then your whole world will fall apart? Are you distracted? Are you anxious? Well, the section of St. Paul's letter to the Philippians that we're looking at today begins with an appeal to two women, Euodia and Syntyche. Now, we don't know a whole lot about these women in that church, but we do know from what Paul tells us that they labored side by side with him in the gospel. And I wonder if maybe they too, like Martha, were distracted with much serving. Maybe they were also anxious. I think it's a fair bet to say that, that they might have been, because Paul goes immediately from appealing to them to exhorting the whole church to rejoice in the Lord, to not be anxious about anything in Philippians 4, verse 6. Now, I imagine that these two women are Martha-like in their wiring. They're busy. They're high achievers. They're very capable, competent. And maybe, maybe they're deriving some of their self-worth from their ability to accomplish things. Or maybe you're wired that same way. <laughs> I know I am. But in our time and place, in our age, we not only face those, those challenges of, of our wiring and trying to build our, our, our sense of self-worth from our accomplishments, we also have the additional challenge of technological distraction. The constant noise of life in this world, the unceasing distraction of the smartphone age stops us from stopping, from relenting, from resting. Stops us from rejoicing. Um, maybe you're distracted with much serving, or maybe, maybe you're just distracted 
by the media environment that we as, as a human culture have created for ourselves. Wherever you are today, I want to point out from Philippians chapter 4 the simple fact that, dis that distraction disrupts discipleship. Distraction disrupts discipleship. Now, in ancient Palestine, 2,000 years ago, Martha was distracted with activity. You and I have, you know, particularly busy times in our lives like she did. We're all the same in that way. And sometimes being distracted, having our, our hands in a lot of things is, is just a necessity in life. Sometimes you bring a new baby home. Hi, Kai and Janice. <laughs> sometimes you have a, a looming deadline at work. Uh, sometimes you, you have a, a confluence of responsibilities all demanding something from you all at the same time. A distracted posture in our lives might be necessary to get through that kind of a season. But if we aren't careful, then that, distract, that distracted posture can become a way of life. If our motto is always, what's next, what's next, what's next, then our motto cannot be, rejoice in the Lord always what Paul commands us to do in Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoicing requires time. It requires focus. It's exactly what I, what I can't give if I'm distracted. Now, in our day, it's especially easy to adopt that posture of distraction because all of us have extremely powerful computers in our pockets at all times. You know, the average smartphone owner unlocks their phone 150 times a day. Can you believe that? On average, those of us who have smartphones, which is all of us, right? We tap, swipe, click on our phones 2,617 times a day. And, and another study says that we use a gadget 10 hours and 39 minutes on average each day. I mean, we don't even remember that we have the choice to sit at Jesus's feet in prayer. Our, our minds have been so deeply shaped by technological distraction. You know, constant smartphone use causes anxiety and other mental health issues. This is being documented by researchers now. It's, it's beginning to create a picture, the current research is, of just how detrimental these, these things are to our mental health. Uh, San Diego State researcher Jean Twangy writes this. She says that rates of teen depression and suicide have skyrocketed since 2011, the same year that uh, teens would have been the first generation to have a smartphone their whole lives. It's not an exaggeration to describe iGen, which he calls the younger generation, as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. And much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones. 
In 2016, the American College Health Association found an increase of 62% of undergraduates reporting overwhelming anxiety. Jean Twangy goes on to write that eighth graders who are heavy users of social media increase their risk of depression by 27%. Teens who spend three hours a day or more on electronic devices are 35% more likely to have a risk factor for suicide, such as making a plan to commit suicide. In fact, in 2017, hospitalizations for suicidal teenagers doubled from the previous year. Jean Twenge concludes, the use of social media and smartphones look culpable for the increase in teen mental health issues. She says, it's enough for an arrest. And as we get more data, it might be enough for a conviction. <laughs> now, maybe you hear me say all of that and think, here goes the preacher blaming technology for all of our problems. And you and I wouldn't be able to have this connection. You wouldn't be able to hear this sermon if it weren't for technology. Obviously, it's not all bad. But my point here in reading all of these statistics is not to convince you to give up your smartphone. My point is simply this. We are all of us Martha now. We're all Martha now. We're all anxious and, and troubled by default. That's our default setting is to be distracted and anxious. And the worst effects of that are happening to the young in our culture. And it creates an environment in which discipleship is extremely difficult because distraction disrupts discipleship. And it's not just me. Every spiritual teacher, no matter what their beliefs are, atheist, Buddhist, you name it, they'll say it. Every spiritual teacher will tell you that distraction disrupts discipleship. So I want you to take stock this week. How much time do you spend separate from technology? When you go to pray, if you pray, how difficult is it for you to quiet your mind and focus on prayer? Take stock this week. How afraid are you of boredom? How easy is it for you to avoid boredom by a quick glance at your smartphone? Take stock this week. Do you default to distraction? If you do, then you need to ask yourself the question, how can you engage with God? If you are someone who follows Jesus, is it possible to focus your mind on him if you struggle to focus your mind at all? Can you be both spiritual and constantly distracted? Now, if, if you're not a Christian, if you, you're not someone who follows Jesus, then I want you to ask yourself this. If there is a God there, if he's there and he knows you and he loves you, 
Are you free enough from distraction to notice Him? Is it possible? Is it possible to seek a God who made and loves you if you never give Him the chance to get a word in edgewise? Distraction disrupts discipleship. And friend, I don't want that for you. Because the call of of this passage of Philippians 4, especially in verses 4 and 5, the call of this passage for us is to rejoice. And I want you and I, I want all of us to be able to participate in the joy of the Lord. And that takes focus if we're going to do that, if we're going to rejoice in the Lord always. It takes the disciples' determination to rejoice. It takes the disciples' determination to rejoice. See, as 21st century Americans, we're used to optimizing every moment of our existence. And for those of us who are obsessed with optimization, we look at Martha flitting about the house, making sure everything is just right for the visit of her Lord Jesus. It's enough for us to to look at her and think, well, maybe she's right. Maybe she's just optimizing. She's active, making good use of her time. She's with Jesus. She's just also doing a bunch of other stuff at the same time. Now, we don't know, but Euodia and Syntyche in in, in Paul's letter might have been similar in their zeal for constant activity. But Jesus says that Mary is the one who's right. He says there's only one thing necessary, only one thing you and I really need to do. He says we really just need to come to him and sit at his feet. She took up Jesus on on this invitation, Mary did. She took Jesus on his invitation that he extended elsewhere in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, where Jesus opens his arms and says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In that story in Luke 10, Mary looks passive sitting at Jesus' feet. Taking the easy yoke from Jesus, what he says there, it it sounds less courageous, sounds less commendable than than, taking the, 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 the difficult burden on yourself and trudging up the hill. I mean, why take the easy road when you can strike out on your own and really make something of yourself? But I would argue that sitting at Jesus' feet takes determination. That in the midst of constant distraction and abundant opportunity, it takes a great deal more courage to say no to endless possibilities, endless endless distractions. It takes courage to say no to that and yes to the one thing that's necessary. 
It takes determination to say no to constant distraction and yes, to rejoice in the Lord always. That may be the most serious challenge to spirituality in our day. Now, in verse 5 of our passage, Paul says, the Lord is at hand. Now, this is where the disciples' determination to rejoice begins. We must believe, in contrast to our sensory experience, that the Lord is at hand, that he is near, that he's here even now. See, by faith, Christians believe that Jesus Christ is alive, that he is in the heavenly places awaiting the day when he will come again to right every wrong and wipe away every tear from our eyes. And we believe that that Christ has sent his own spirit to us, that he is with us even now by the power of his Holy Spirit that we are with him and he is with us. And, And that takes incredible determination to believe and to hold on to in our everyday because there is nothing in the Bay Area that reinforces that belief. We must remain determined in our focus on Christ's presence. And if the King of all things is with us, because he loves us and wants to be with us, what possible response to that reality could we have besides joy? Uh, When a good and generous king shows up in a town, the whole city comes out, waving banners, shouting, singing, thrilled that the king would honor us with his presence. The natural response of the presence of King Jesus is one of joy. And Paul knows this. That's why he writes what he does in this letter. He reminds his readers of this reality. And maybe as he goes on to discuss prayer in verses 6 and 7, maybe he does that because he's thinking about Jesus' own words. In John chapter 16, verse 24, where he says, Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Jesus' intention in hearing and answering our prayers is so that he can give us abundant, full, everlasting joy. Christ invites us to himself to sit at his feet, to bring our request to him so that he can fill our joy, so he can give us his life, so that he can bring us into the everlasting party that is the kingdom of God. When you come to believe in the heart of the Christian gospel, that God so loved us, he gave his own son for us, that Christ Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, even though we were his enemies. When you come to believe that, then you begin to understand Paul's words in Philippians 4. A determination to joy is a determination to go deeper into Christ himself. A determination to joy is a determination to dwell with him, to meditate on him, to commune with him by faith. 
and in prayer. Every spiritual teacher will tell you that distraction disrupts discipleship. Whether it's the distraction of technology or the responsibilities of everyday life, we all have the chance to choose. Christ has given everything for us. He's given us himself. You may not believe that. Are you too distracted to recognize him if he comes? You may believe, but but do you walk in Christ's joy? See, peace, joy, and gratitude are all offered to us in the easy yoke of Jesus Christ. Open your hands to him. Set your distractions aside. Choose the joy of Christ. And come. Come and sit at Jesus' feet. Let's pray together. Father, you are the eternally generous God of all things. You've given us your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've invited us to yourself through the Lord Jesus. And in the sending of your Spirit, you give us the opportunity to dwell with you, to commune with you, to be constantly in your presence now and forever. Father, forgive us for being distracted and teach us to be determined to rejoice in you, to rejoice in what you've done for us in the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Teach our hearts, train us, Lord, to recognize that the Lord is at hand, that he is here and with us even now. And I pray for all those that have yet to believe that, that you would communicate in the stillness of the moment, that you would communicate the truth of who Jesus is to their hearts, that they would come to believe with their minds, that they would follow him with their lives. Not because we want people to be like us, but because we want all people to embrace the joy that is communion with you, Lord God. Thank you for giving us and promising us your joy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.